Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Elegaville Dease. This is the second episode in the four part series First Responders Australian Stories highlighting stories from first responders across many of the different agencies in Victoria working to keep us safe. Last episode, we heard from three call takers who are our first point of contact when something goes wrong. This week, we're hearing from the people who respond to those calls and how there's always a need to be prepared for the unexpected. My name is Tommy Williams. I'm a 23-year-old beach lifeguard from Phillip Island. Here in Victoria, um, I've been working in the professional service for five years and in the volunteer space for 11 years. Tommy works for Lifesaving Victoria as a professional lifeguard, working at Phillip Island's Willamite Beach. I started in the volunteer service when I was quite young, actually. I started in our nippers program that we've got here at Phillip Island at Willamite Beach, and I got thrown into that from a pretty young age. I did that for a few years and yeah, I just kept developing my skills and um, eventually got my surf rescue certificate when I was 12 or 13, I think it was. Yeah, just kept growing from there. I was volunteering on the weekends throughout the summer and I was very lucky to go through with a great group of people who are now my best friends and we've just developed and and we've just kept giving back to the club as much as the club gives to us. And um, when I finished high school, I um, did my gold medallion and managed to get a job as a lifeguard. So yeah, I've been doing that for five years now and, and absolutely loving it. feel very lucky to have this as my job. We're very lucky to be able to all live together as well, the team of lifeguards we've got. So I get to live with 15, 20 of my best friends over that time. And the things that we experience and the camaraderie that comes from that, I feel very, very lucky. And I know that those people have my back in any sort of situation as much as I'd have theirs as well. And another thing that I find is such a rewarding side of my job, and I know all my friends who share that job with me would agree, is that, you know, we, we deal with life death situations sort of every day during the summer. And it just goes to show how precious life really actually is. You know, we've seen a few things and had some unfortunate sort of events happen. And it just makes everyone feel very grateful and very proud when we finish a day's work during the summer. And we know that everyone gets to go home back to their families. It's a very satisfying feeling for sure. For many people, the job might seem idyllic. Tommy lives the beach life with his mates sharing a house down at Phillip Island. But there's also the reality of juggling work and home life. Thanks to their proximity to the beach, Tommy and his colleagues are unofficially on call during the daylight hours and not just when the flags are up. We're lucky enough to live actually right on the beach at one of the beaches here at Phillip Island. We technically only work 10 to 6, but 
I guess another statistic to throw out there is that 62% of drownings in Victoria actually happen outside of the summer and outside of the patrol times. So we're always really on our toes from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. And so we might clock off at six, but we still like we're definitely still working until that sun goes down. And when Tommy does start his work day, he knows he needs to be prepared for anything that the ocean throws at him. I think the beauty of our job is its unpredictability. We we have absolutely no control over the ocean's conditions. As much as we can read the forecasts and plan where we put the flags at the start of the day, there's nothing to say that a set wave can't just come and wash the sand straight under people's feet. We know that we have to be adaptable. So when we when something happens and we have a plan, we know that more often than not that that plan is going to get thrown out of the window at any split second. When we turn up to work every day, and I guess the mindset that we go in with is that we are going to deal with something challenging today. So when it does happen, we don't panic or anything like that. So it's kind of our mindset going in. And, and it means that when it does happen, we can just deal with it the way we know how to deal with it. And down here, the beaches that we have down here are, are some of the most dangerous in Victoria, if not Australia. And, you know, some of the statistics say that down here, we we do have our work cut out for us. I think we had something like 106 rescues down here during the summer. And that's probably just in the Christmas, New Year's period alone. So when challenging things happen, we're kind of used to it or, or we know how to deal with it and we've dealt with it before. One story stands out from last summer that illustrates Tommy's point. Thanks to recently lifted COVID restrictions and international travel no longer being an option, Last summer saw tourism to regional Victoria surge. Woolamai Beach was packed and one strong wave on this particular day had Tommy and his team thinking on their feet. We had hundreds of people in the water, hundreds of people on the beach and, and we'd set the flags up on what we thought was a really stable sandbar. Heaps of people were enjoying their time. It was a really hot day and all of a sudden set come in and the sandbank sort of collapsed off the side and a family actually did get caught in trouble. So it was a mother and her two kids. And the father was actually still on the sandbar. So he saw his kids getting washed out, getting taken under, panicking. And and everybody else saw it as well. We obviously saw it. So I sent a few few of my team out to go and rescue them and only thinking there was one or two patients at that time because we couldn't see through the chop of the waves. It was quite a big day. And seeing that, the fear in that father's eyes when he ran up to us thinking that he'd lost his entire family... It, yeah, that, that was crazy. I'll never, I'll never forget the way he approached us that day. And obviously I sent my two lifeguards out thinking there was two people to rescue. And then he's, he just couldn't stop screaming, my, my daughter, my daughter. And, and we thought we'd, we'd lost his daughter because we just thought we were getting his son and his wife. So I guess whatever plan we had at the start kind of shifted and we're starting to think, oh, well, maybe we're dealing with something a bit more crazy than what we thought. And Everybody ended up getting in. They were all fine. They were pretty panicked and one of them had swallowed a fair bit of water. But I guess it just goes to show how quickly the situation like that can rapidly change. And if you're not on top of it, it can get out of hand very quickly. And all this sort of happened in the space of one to two minutes, if that. So we always go in with a plan, but we know that that plan can get thrown out of the window very, very quickly. That's our greatest strength as a team of lifeguards is the way we can adapt to situations. And um, yeah, I'm extremely proud of the way my team dealt with that situation on the day. For Tommy, it was an incident that really stretched his team to their limit. Not only for what happened in the water, but what was also happening on the sand, as the father was watching the rest of his family get swept out to sea. I remember so clearly the fear in his eyes, but his actual aggressiveness 
stood out to me as well because it, it was our job to keep his family safe on that day. And for that split second, even though it wasn't our fault, it was our fault because his family were no longer safe. So he he actually became quite aggressive towards myself personally and, and as the other girls were doing the rescues and whatever. And I, I obviously I've dealt with it before. I knew that I had to remain calm and, and just reassure him we had eyes on his daughter, we had eyes on his whole family, and we were doing everything that we possibly could to bring them back to him. And and he he knew that as well after after the fact when he knew that everyone was safe. He actually came up and apologized to us, which was awesome. And and the whole family was so thankful of the work that we did. But I guess you put someone, especially a father or a mother, in that sort of situation and you never really know how they're going to respond and react. And I guess for him and a takeaway from it for anyone who ever has to deal with this, he could have communicated everything a lot more effectively to us had he remained calm. And it's obviously way, way easier said than done. But he could have come up to us and said, this person's missing. This is what they look like. This is what they're wearing. This is where I last saw them. We know how to tailor our search appropriately to that. Whereas if he's screaming at us saying, you lost my daughter, you lost my daughter, well, we don't know who we're looking for. So I guess that was a takeaway from it. But again, easier said than done. And I absolutely do not blame the man for raising his voice at us. I I probably would do the same if I was in the same situation. So it's, yeah, it's a very tricky one, but we just take it with a grain of salt, especially when, yeah, things are, things are going pretty scary at the beach, especially for families. We know that, yeah, there's going to be a heightened sense and and that's just something that we are trained to deal with and we learn to deal with. Tommy's experience is an illustration of how quickly a situation can get out of control. And in controlling that situation, often you have to work with the personalities and emotions within the situation as well. One person who knows about this is Rachel, a firefighter with Fire Rescue Victoria. I come from an interesting family history of emergency services. My father is still an active serving professional firefighter here in Melbourne. Uh, My mum is an emergency nurse and both of them have been doing that for over 40 years. I'm a fifth generation professional firefighter here in Melbourne and I guess growing up I always saw what mum and dad were doing and although a lot of little girls I guess try to aspire to be like their mum, it was dad's career that caught my eye and spending time around the fire station and seeing how the firefighters interacted with each other and the community, um, I realised it was definitely something that I wanted to do. Oh, I could be here all day talking about the positives. I think giving back to the community is generally, I mean, the reason that most firefighters apply. Being able to have every day that's different and making a difference to someone's day, we might go there on their worst day. Um, and while that might be hard for us to, to deal with sometimes, I think it's really rewarding to be able to make a difference to them and that's something we should truly be proud of. Rachel recalls a time that she was a part of a crew called to a car fire. What Rachel found, however, turned out to be a lot more than just a car fire. On arrival, there was the other station fire truck from Somerton was extinguishing the car fire. And it was dark, it was on a basketball court, and we asked if they needed our assistance before the other officer looked up at me and waved us on. As we were leaving, we had to go down the end of the court as we were coming back up the court. Uh, we noticed there's a few people around the street and we started making our way home and home being to the fire station. During our drive back, we had the radio operators from Triple Zero. They radioed through to us telling us that there was now a further caller stating it wasn't just a car fire, that there was an additional two houses on fire and there was a man wielding an axe in the area, threatening people in the street. Rachel radioed back to Triple Zero, saying that they would be proceeding with a silent approach, meaning there would be no lights and sirens. The crew turned the truck around and started driving carefully back to the scene. 
when they got back, they saw that the other crew had already started to deal with the chaos that awaited them. Hopping out of your fire truck and what you'd normally see is the first thing to deal with would be a fire. I had a, a lot of other things, and not just me, my, my shift mates and the other crews and the oncoming emergency services. We had a lot of people um, and a lot of difficulty prioritising what we had to do on that job. So there was a man wielding an axe. He was threatening firefighters with a jerry can and trying to light up the fire truck as well as being quite threatening to the community members, people coming out from the house to see what was happening and being quite aggressive. You could tell he was aggravated and possibly under the effect of some sort of drug or alcohol. It was different. It was confronting, but it's not the first time and it wouldn't just be me. There'd be a lot of people that would be confronted with different calls and different situations and it makes you think on your feet quickly and um, yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting night that I won't forget. First responders deal with often volatile and changing situations at emergencies, requiring quick thinking. But it's not just at emergencies either. My name is Lee Johnson. I'm 53 years old and I've worked at Victoria Police since 1987. I believe Duran Duran were in the charts at that particular time, for those that remember. I'm a youth specialist with a proactive policing unit based out at the city of Hume. I grew up uh, with old-fashioned values about being part of your community. I recall in my uh, interview when the question was asked, why have you joined the police force? And my answer was to reach out into the community and help people. And it's interesting, 33 odd years later, that's still what I stand by. The proactive policing unit Lee works in is focused on working with community groups and schools to engage young people. Rather than respond directly to emergencies, Lee's unit looks to engage with the community and help build relationships between police and young people hopefully preventing crime from happening in the first place. Proactive policing is a preventative type program that works in with community groups and schools and it's about really promoting Victoria Police in a positive light. It's about supporting and helping not only young people but their families within their communities. It's specifically aimed at recidivist offenders being repeat youth offenders because at the end of the day if you connect and engage young people you won't have the issues uh, that we see in our stats. The last place you would expect an unexpected situation is on a routine visit to speak to some school children. But that's exactly what Lee encountered. I was visiting a primary school and working with a leadership program uh, within that primary school and a teacher came running in to say a student was currently up on the roof threatening to jump off the roof. The student was roughly 10 years of age and obviously you don't have to think twice. I was outside supporting those, uh, that staff, to, to try and get this young person to come down off the roof. Mother was called to come out to the school to assist with this current situation. Look, there was a lot of things going on with that young person in their life. It took a fair bit of negotiation to, to calm this young person down, to bring that young person from a heightened state back to a, a, a state that you could talk to to the person. And I guess in our role with proactives, one of the powers that we have is our great knowledge of agencies and networks and what they do and, and the real quality of some of these networks. So when this young person came down from the roof and uh, we were able to, to speak clearly uh, in the staff room with mum, who was obviously quite distressed, and the school, I was able to then say, look, I know people that can help, that can really help, and it went on from there. So um, from my knowledge, uh, I certainly kept in touch with that family for a time after that, and I'm sure to, the, to this day now that young person's growing up and living a, a very fulfilled life as we speak. It's clear that people react to the stress and trauma of an emergency situation very differently. And while you might think that a first responder's job is just catching bank robbers, putting out fires, or saving drowning people... 
Much of the role is coming up with ways to work with people who are quite often having one of the worst days of their life. For many different reasons, the human behaviour in, in fire situations or in emergency situations is a very interesting thing. And people react in a number of different ways. It's like a medical emergency, the same thing. Some family members are quite at the loss of a family or friend. Some are quite loud and confronting and, and they might be touchy with you or, or want to just hug you. I guess that's how we're trained and we're professional firefighters and we're trained to deal with all members of the public and, and the way that they might approach us. For Lee, his work as a police member can be especially tricky to navigate when it comes to dealing with abusive members of the public particularly when an abusive person is dealing with mental health issues that really require an empathetic approach. Dealing with mental health is always a big thing, trying to uh, navigate what this person's um, mental health issues may be so that you can be uh, empathetic, so that you can give the police response that is required at that time. Look, for me personally, I was always uh, raised by my uh, parents, uh, credit to them to treat people, to respect people, how you would like them to treat and respect yourselves. There is no doubt that uh, that when you go out to a scene that uh, some people uh, can be quite uh, abusive, they can be uh, aggressive. Look, I always uh, uh, maintain my professionalism in responsive. I don't take things personally. I try and maintain a calm uh, voice. Uh, I try and uh, make eye contact and and, um, and I try and, and, and soothe the situation. If I need to be assertive, then I would certainly be assertive, but I certainly will not be aggressive back to, uh, to anybody. However, um, the one thing that really hits hits our office hard, and I'm sure it hits people of all walks of life, is, is when people are in such despair that they uh, that uh, they take their own lives. And uh, that, that's gut-wrenching, not only for uh, you in your office, but for, for your local police, emergency services, uh, your community, your school. I, I've seen that it occur in all those sorts of uh, aspects. But even to, to draw it further, if you're the person that needs to break the news to that family that that their young person will, will not be coming home because, you know, they've committed suicide is is uh, gut-wrenching and I'll tell you what, for me personally, it, uh, it certainly has, a, uh, has an effect it, uh, because you think about your own family, you think about your own kids and, and, and how you would feel. It's, uh, it's, it's a horrible, horrible thing and uh, I, for me personally, uh, the way that I try and uh, deal with it is, is I, look, I, I signed up to do a lifeline um, course, uh, which was on suicide prevention, and learned so much from that course, particularly how to identify signs, but also the correct dialogue to use. For example, I grew up in a generation where you didn't say the word suicide, but Lifeline were big on saying the first things you say to some person is, are you having suicidal thoughts? So I certainly learned a lot from that. I've also attended Beyond Blue um, presentations when they've come through my town and, and heard some amazing speakers that, that have reached the depths of despair but they've, they've slowly um, turned it around and, and you know, um, gone on from there. Despite challenging situations, flared tempers and pressure, it's what our first responders are trained to do. Not only dealing with the emergency, but working with the people involved in that emergency. 
all of our emergency services have training, processes and procedures that minimise the effects of abuse for bystanders and first responders alike. I certainly saw it in action not that long ago at a, a road crash and our members from all the uh, agencies, the SES that specific day, the CFA and Victoria Police just get straight on and do their job. And everybody was on the same page, showing those signs of being calm, being assertive if you have to, but also being professional, dealing with things, uh, you know, perhaps um, separating people if there's a bit of angst as there was this specific day. And at the end of it, uh, seeking out that debrief if that is what is required, but more times than not a debrief is done anyway to just ensure that everybody is uh, feeling okay from that specific incident. Handling situations or abuse from the public is something I'm sure a lot of emergency services workers face and I would say just to make sure that they take care of them and speak to someone about it. I know I have in the past and from my duty of dealing with difficult situations. Uh, make sure that they speak to their bosses and their managers and talk through the situation that happens so they can learn on how to sort of deal with that in the next time it comes around. And here at Fire Risk Victoria, we have a huge amount of support um, we do a lot of constant training on making sure that we're prepared for those situations. And we have that situational awareness to be able to support us in, in our duties. And I think that that's really important for, for everyone working in this sort of industry. And while it's not appropriate for members of the public to jump in and defuse the situation between an abusive person and a first responder, there are still some things you can do to protect the people protecting us. Victoria Police were trained to deal with very challenging situations. So my advice really is unless a last resort and or directed by a member of the police force is to really have that ability to take in what they're seeing because it's so important down the track that that person perhaps is a witness, somebody that we can really rely upon to give a recollection of what they saw and to convey that perhaps uh, further on down the track in, in the way of a statement and or uh, in court if it uh, goes that far. Probably a lot of people think that firefighters is typically putting the wet stuff on the red stuff, as they say. But I think there's so much more to it than that. You know, we are highly trained. Um, we go through a four-year training process um, until we're a qualified firefighter and Situational awareness or understanding fire science, electrical hazards. Uh, we do a lot of training in recruits in that 20 weeks that we're in the classroom, uh, learning about all these different situations. So yeah, the public should uh, rest assured that we are trained in those situations and um, we work together as a team to make sure that we have all the information and we can sort out the best way to mitigate that problem, whether that be electrical or it might be a gas leak. Yeah, we definitely have those skills and experience behind us on every team to, um, to mitigate any problem with those Firefighters and emergency services workers are trained to deal with these situations. So I think we can take care of each other by keeping our eyes open and communicating with each other. And we're all here for the same purpose. We all want to take care of our community and the people in it. So if you did see something, make that be known to the emergency services person closest to you because you do want them to be safe. Their family, emergency services person's family, want them to go to work and want them to come home, I'm sure, like every other person does every day. I think well, more often than not, the public do actually understand the role that we do and and that's a great thing but there obviously is a small minority of people that don't appreciate the fact that we actually sacrifice our summer off to keep them safe i think people a lot of people take it for granted and um that can be really frustrating for us sometimes like while everybody is getting to enjoy their annual leave well so away from our other jobs but we're actually choosing to work to look after other people and families so it probably is overlooked how hard we do train 
and how hard we do work to better ourselves as a team and individuals in the field. And we're very lucky to have this as a job, but I think, yeah, people just, yeah, sometimes just take it for granted. And, and I guess, yeah, that also goes back to, you know, whenever we do talks at schools or, you know, we tell people that we're lifeguards and we, the job that we do. And the first question that comes to mind is, oh, have you ever done CPR? Or have you ever dealt with a shark attack? Like it's for a lot of people, it's actually not something they really want to talk about. But probably just reading the room when you are talking to a, a lifeguard in that sort of situation. But I think the my overall message to the public would be is just yeah to continue working with us rather than against us. And um, yeah, the, the best way to do that is knowing your limits and never swimming alone, looking after the ones that you're there with and always, always, always swimming between the flags. That is the key. First Responders Australian Stories is produced by Crime Stoppers Victoria with the support of the Motorola Solutions Foundation. For further information about Crime Stoppers Victoria, you can visit our website or follow us on Facebook at Crime Stoppers Vic. In the next episode, we'll be speaking to three new first responders from different services that help us stay safe. Please hit the follow button on your podcast platform to keep up to date with all our future podcasts. Stay safe. Until next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.